Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. It was neat to see you play, and it's fun to talk to you all these years later because you played with a lot of joy and you played with passion. And I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, you know, I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. I think there were a lot of kids who looked at Dan Dickow and said, Dan Dickow can play at this level, I can play at this level. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. This week, if you've been paying close attention, there's a lot of focus on the University of Washington. First guest this week, Todd McCulloch, led UW back to the NCAA tournament after a long drought, a Sweet 16, and another appearance in the late 90s. We will be releasing with Trey Simmons, a all-Pac-10 performer in the mid-2000s. Today's someone I'm interested to hear a little bit about their journey. He was a football and basketball player at UW after starting his college athletic career at Gonzaga as a basketball player. Someone who has bet on himself time and time again, and it has paid off time and time again. Connor Griffin. Connor, thanks for joining. How was life? down in Southern California as a assistant coach learning the ropes under Lorenzo Romar at Pepperdine. It's good, man. It's uh, obviously a great area to live in. So I'm first and foremost happy to be down here and being part of such a good staff. You know, Coach Romar has great legacy in Pac-12 and Coach Bone as well. Being the associate head, those two just have a tremendous amount of experience together and then just learning from other guys like Curtis Allen, Gerald Brown, and John John Impleman, it's just been a great uh, great opportunity. So learning a lot, loving the experience, and just uh, looking forward to what's to come. So before we start talking about kind of your path as, as a basketball and football player in college, is coaching something that you always felt was going to be what you did? No, I mean, I think I went to uh, Gonzaga with um the intent you know you kind of sign up for the whole business um major you know accounting finance was kind of what I was looking into being that my dad was into that too but uh, honestly it came kind of near the end of my UW career and you know time was ticking and I was about to graduate and I really had no clue what I was going to do I wasn't a business major anymore um knew that I was kind of losing a big part of my life in sports and so kind of just did some soul searching and realize that, you know, one of the better things I am at life is, you know, sports in general. So why would I ever kind of abandon that? And I figured coach was the route, coaching was the route to go and to just uh, continue to fulfill that passion of mine. You and I have had a, a chance to talk on a number of occasions during my broadcasts um, in the WCC on different networks. And I've been impressed and struck by uh, the detailed questions that you ask me or when I'm asking you about different players or teams and how you view them, how would you feel your view of the game uh, is evolving, both starting as a player at the college level under Coach Few, then with Coach Romar, and now being part of a staff where you're talking daily with great coaches like Romar and Coach Ken Bone you mentioned? 
Yeah, no, it's funny because you always think back to those conversations, you know, when you're an athlete and coaches would bring in former players and they would talk about, you know, coach is right. You got to do this, this, and this. And you kind of always just shake your head thinking, you know, what's in your best interest. Right. And now I'll go back and do some of those talks. And I'm like, guys, please listen to me. Like coach is right. Do these things. Right. And so now I'm the old head that's saying these things. And it's just so true as to what they are preaching. I remember kind of one my first year with Gonzaga coach few um, told me to be a ball mover. That was like kind of my role. Right. And coming from like Oswego, you know, everyone's coming to this program, like they were the best players on their team. Um, and so that was a real shot to my ego. Like, you just want me to be ball mover. That's like all my role is going to be here. And, you know, as time has went on, I've started to, you know, kind of swallow that pill, especially at UW and everywhere I've gone. And um, just looking back on kind of that is just kind of the whole epitome of what coaching has been to me you know, just being a superstar in your role um, and just finding guys that are about winning, you know, just playing your role. I think that's why Gonzaga is so good because guys kind of just give up their individual accolades or achievements for um, the better of the team. So it's, it's interesting because I talk to some of my friends now who are still players and, um, you know, they have their own kind of ideas to who they are as players and how a team should be ran. But looking at it from the coaching's perspective, Coach Romar and Coach Bowen have really um, shown me just, you know, it's the little details that kind of add up to this whole cumulative effect. So, um, you know, we get really nitpicky on these details with the guys, and I'm sure they kind of get frustrated at times wondering why are we being so anal about these things, but it really does add up. So, um it's just kind of looking at the small picture to kind of really, you know, derive the bigger picture from all that. Being a young coach, someone that's trying to uh, learn daily and kind of grow your foundational knowledge and base and grow your coaching career. I can only imagine that, you know, COVID has really been a challenge for you because from what I know, um, lots of different programs you're still putting in the same amount of time and effort and work to prepare for practice and games, but it's different. Not every staff is in the office daily for the amount of hours, uh, just kind of pouring over game film, pouring over scouting reports, pouring over game plans. Uh, mm-hmm. How has it been for you to continue to learn with these different circumstances? Yeah, I mean, it goes all the way back till um, March and this summer where our guys weren't allowed to come back on campus. You know, a big part of my role was putting together a bunch of these film edits for our guys. So that consisted of me kind of going back through all of our games through the past season, making sure our guys understood kind of defensive rotations, what our playbook was looking like, things we might be adding, whatnot. Um, and then here we are in the middle of the season. Only reason I was able to come back and be on staff here is because I'm actually working for both the men's and women's staff and our guys are actually in San Francisco right now. And I'm here on the home front because that's just kind of how we uh, made it work. But yeah, we're not up in the office as much, you know, obviously like social distancing and everything like that with meetings and all that, but it's just been a huge dive into, you know, lots of film. I think this has been a big year where we've kind of really embraced that as a team, even our guys too. Um, I know last year kind of at times we, you know, I think the guys might have questioned why why we watch so much film and everything like that. But then um, once we kind of found some success here as of recent, just with defensive rotations, like I said, and kind of like the little details that I alluded to earlier, 
our guys are really bought into that. So the majority of it has just been lots of film. Um, you know, like you said, we're watching all of Gonzaga's games. I try and keep a running playbook of all the WCC teams just so we know what's uh, to be expected when we play them. But, you know, it's, it's been a good opportunity to kind of just really dive in and learn as much as I can about the game, learn as much as I can about the WCC and just, you know, grow as a grow as a coach in the mind. Well, you've been around the WCC as a coach now for a couple of years. You were also around the WCC as, as a player at Gonzaga. Uh, take me back to those two years, 13 and 14, 14 and 15. The mm-hmm. first year uh, you guys, I don't want to say limped into the NCAA tournament. You were a definite tourney team. Uh, but you had to win the conference tournament to, to rest easily on Selection Sunday. That following year, 14-15, uh, was a tremendous team. Elite Eight against UCLA. And when you look at that roster, Kevin Pangos, Gary Bell, Shemek Karnowski, Kyle Wilcher, uh, DeMontis Sabonis, how would those guys stack up with this year's Gonzaga team? <laughs> it's funny because I have that question, uh, that talk with everybody, and – you know, what stands out about this year's team with Gonzaga is obviously you've seen it firsthand, just the pace that they play with and selfishness, you know, passing up, you know, good shots for great shots. And even those great shots for what could be an even better shot. And then there's just the continuity of their offense. It's always going um, ball screen after ball screen. They have multiple playmakers and Suggs and Nembard, Ayayi, Kispert's obviously doing his thing as a scorer. And Timmy's just a, nightmare in the post so um no no disrespect to them or anything like that but as far as talent I think there was more talent on some of those former teams even that national championship team you can't tell me that um bigs like Zach Collins Sabonis I think Karnowski was on that team those are three superstar bigs that any team in the country would love to have and then our team specifically the lead date you know I think Kev brought something to the table that a lot of point cards don't do from a leadership standpoint, just, you know, his ability to play, make, shoot the ball. Obviously Gary was a, was a killer on defense, shoot the ball too. Kyle Wilcher is probably the most prolific scorer in college basketball that year. And then Shamick was whatever, seven, two, 300 pounds. Like you have to send double, triple teams to guard him. And when you have Sabonis, a lottery pick coming off the bench, that's, that's another problem in itself. So, um, as far as talent, you know, I always kind of lean back to that team. And I talked to all of my former teammates about, like, what is it with this year's Gonzaga team that makes them so special? And, um, you know, I really do think it's kind of that just continuity, unselfishness. Seems like one of the better kind of uh, culture teams that they've ever had. So, um, selfishly, I'm going to pick our Elite Eight team to beat them. You know, I'd love to see that. But, uh, unfortunately, whenever we get to experience it. You know, that's funny because uh, even to this day, I try to throw my senior year team uh, into that mix. We were 29-4. and four. Unfortunately, we lost in the first round of the tournament um, with our worst game of the year. But, you know, when somebody's personally connected to a team and sees it on a day-to-day, uh, I, I think they've got a great ability to kind of break down two different teams and really kind of share. And I love the way you described that 14-15 team because – I think that was the team at Gonzaga that kind of broke through and made it now a truly elite team. Um, They didn't quite get to a final four, but uh, you know, for so many years, Gonzaga hadn't gotten back to that elite eight since the 99 Mm -hmm. and they just kind of smashed through that barrier and made it happen and know that people uh, made it known that yes, Gonzaga could do that. 
Now, I've had Rem Bacamus on this podcast, and we've, we've, we've talked about a number of coaching things as well as uh, culture things on the basketball level. You and him were both walk-ons that became a big part uh, of the culture at Gonzaga basketball. How does that happen? Uh, and what type of personality do you have to have coming into a program uh, from being a great high school player to being one of the guys? Yeah, you know, I think uh, Rem is a pioneer in kind of the whole culture building um, thought there. And Rem is better than like, I, I like to put myself in that category, but I really do credit Rem with kind of just the whole culture thing at Gonzaga. And obviously culture is such a weird word because, you know, people like to use it all the time. It wasn't really me. You can't really put a strict definition on it. But um, to me, it's really just about, you know, surrounding yourself with a group of guys that kind of have that common goal and, you know, living together, obviously the basketball house had a big part in that, just a little kind of location where guys could always get together and, you know, life outside of basketball is so, so big. And the fact that we were just able to experience it all together all the time and um, always just had that outlet for one another was huge. And Ram obviously played a big part in it just because, he was always a guy that you could go to if you're having a bad day. He's going to cheer you up. If you need a rebounder, he'll come to you. Um, anything like that. So it, I think what taught me the most was kind of just like understanding your role. You know, everywhere I've gone has kind of been a different role. When I was in high school, I got to kind of be the guy, right? When it came to Gonzaga, I told you I was supposed to be a ball mover. And for me, it was like being more of that culture guy, challenging the guys every single day, pushing them better pushing them to get better in practice. Um, and then we'll talk about Yuda, but kind of evolved into the same thing there. And then finally at Vanguard, I kind of got my shot. But um, it really is kind of just being that ultimate glue guy, making sure that, you know, team chemistry is always good um, and just bringing everyone together to kind of just sacrifice your individual accolades for that greater good, that greater achievement. And, obviously it showed through that one year and made that elite eight push. You were a tremendous athlete in high school in the Portland area, uh, football and basketball. Um, you decided to go to GU to play basketball, but then you had the passion uh, and the athleticism and opportunity to, to walk on football at the University of Washington. How difficult of a transition was that? I mean, because I can only imagine it's a completely different set of workouts to prepare it's a di completely different type of, uh, you know, mindset to, to play a completely different sport at another high level. Tell us about what went into that and how you bet on yourself there. Yeah, so I think in the back of my mind, I always had this idea that um, being that I was recruited out of high school for football, probably more so for football than I was basketball. Um, I always had this idea that I wanted to do four years of basketball and then use that fifth year for for football. Um, obviously that time came a little bit earlier, had lots of talks again with like Ren. Uh, Kev was a big part of that decision too, kind of just uh, encouraging me to pursue that, pursue that dream. But yeah, obviously it came earlier and something I just wanted to always kind of do. And I told myself that if I wanted to achieve the kind of um, things I had set out for me in football, that it would probably take more than one year to actually do, you know, actually get in a pack 12 weight room, put on the weight, get the right body, learn from the right coaches. Um, that was going to be a matter of a couple of years as opposed to one, if I really wanted to see that through. So 
you know, I talked to B Mike that day, um, just kind of told him where my head was at, let him know that um, was interested in kind of looking into opportunities, seeing what football could bring about. And um, he completely respected that decision, passed along to Coach Few and um, talked to Coach Few at a later day. And he um, obviously, I don't think he thought I was kidding or anything like that, but. I think he was taken by surprise when he got calls from Coach Pete at UW. Um, he told me Boise State had called him. Nebraska had some people talking to coaches on my behalf. So um, Coach Few talked to me about it, and we had a great conversation. And he was obviously super respectful about it and everything like that. And they're with me every step along the way as I even was doing my football recruiting. So um, super thankful for that. But yeah, it just came down to kind of three schools for me, like Portland State, Montana, and UW were kind of the three I was looking at. At the end of the day, I wanted to go to UW. One, because I thought they had the staff, the facilities, and everything for me to really achieve what I want to, right? Become the best player I could be. And then two, there's just been a rich tradition at the time of tight ends coming out of UW. Um, you know, Austin Severian Jenkins and other guys like that. I just really made their name. Um, playing there and so I thought it was a great opportunity I've never really shied away from a, a challenge or anything like that and um, just thought it was another opportunity to just kind of live out my passions and you know big shout out to my parents for just allowing me to do these different opportunities and kind of supporting me the entire way no matter how much sense it might have seemed not to make you know so uh, yeah. was there a was there a one welcome to football practice moment whether it was you getting just smashed going across the middle or you hitting somebody else definitely not me hitting someone else I'll tell you that much <laughs> but uh I'll, I'll give you two the first one was when I got there my first day we had a giant meeting you know coach P introduces kind of all the newcomers and stuff like that gives me a little shout out saying that I could probably school the guys on the court everything like that which is cool but then we go to our position meetings right and they're talking about all these adjustments they made over the little break that they had. And so I get into the room, coach pal, pal tells me right away. He says, Connor, this is probably going to make any sense, but just bear with me for a sec. And then he just gets into all this football terminology. He's like, all right. So on uh, Denver, right. Black slide green goes, we decided to go with the 15 out route instead of 12. We're going to hook it here. And he's just saying all this, like, mumble jumble stuff and I just had no idea what was going on at that moment I just sitting there it's like Connor what the hell did you do why 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 did you ever leave basketball so that was kind of like that first experience and then I guess one of the bigger hits that I got my first year was from um Jojo McIntosh the safety that we had just huge huge hitter and um it was on scout team I ran a bubble route and quite honestly I think he led up last second but I just ran a little bubble route. I caught it. And as soon as I caught it, I just felt Jojo just knocked me straight on my ass. And um, he helped me up. He's a good guy. He was one of my first friends there and everything like that. So I think he felt bad at the time. Um, but yeah, that was probably one of my welcome moments. And then another one was also during a scrimmage. Uh, it was early in fall camp. Um, I ran an out route or something like that. And pretty uncharacteristically of me. I, I dropped the ball and one of the safeties come running by and you can just hear him like yell the whole defense. And it was like, he should have stuck with basketball and just yelled across <laughs> the field. And so that was one that really stuck with me. But um, 
definitely a lot of great moments from and really happy that I was able to do that. You know, that's funny. You, you talk about the terminology of college football and how it just kind of hits you like, whoa, what is this? It's very similar in basketball. You go from high school to college and there's a complete mm -hmm. knowledge base that has grown exponentially. And then from college to the NBA, uh, the terminology and just the quickness of having to pick it up and learn it is the same way. Mm -hmm. um, last cup, last thing before I let you go, um, you played for three tremendous coaches at the college level. Mm -hmm. Coach Few at Gonzaga, Coach Pete at UW football, and then also a little bit with Coach Romar uh, at University of Washington basketball. You're now working for Coach Romar at Pepperdine. Give me something really quick on both of those three guys because um, I know Coach Few well. I know Coach Romar well. I don't know Coach Pete, but everything that I know is he's a tremendous guy. What makes those coaches so great in their knowledge and then their impact on players as well? Yeah, no, I'll just touch up on uh, each of one real quick. I think Coach Few, for me, biggest takeaway with him is really not to overcomplicate um, the game of basketball. No. Uh, I would go in there and it just seems so simple to him, right? We, we would be running a play. A guy would switch on me or something like that. Big has a mismatch. I would advance the ball across the court. And then he would just stop. And he's like, Connor, why don't you just come back here? Let's post up the big. He's got a little, you know, or just just big to big pass. Like a guy's hedging or something like that. Advance the ball. Let's go big top down. Something like that. And to me, it was just like, I think guys overcomplicate the game so much. You see it nowadays where with, I don't know, the IG trainers and everything. Like there's just so little you actually have to do. Just be great at kind of the the simple. And I think they've kind of done that and obviously expanded upon it since I left. But I think that's why they're so great now is they just, they're really good at just simple concepts and just mastering those concepts and kind of putting them in different situations. Um, for Coach Pete, you know, he had his whole built for life philosophy, which is why I kind of talked to you about when, the, you know, the old heads come back and saying this built for life stuff is real. And um, now that I'm old head, right, I, I've really seen the importance in that, just kind of always preparing for what's down the road. You know, everyone wants to go pro. It's just a harsh reality that you're not going to, you know. Um, so as much as you want to kind of pursue that plan B is what he always called it. We're always going to go for that plan B, right? We're always going to try and get you to the league, let you live out that dream. We're going to pursue that plan B, but our plan A is always being in character, a uh, man built for life, right? So, um, just kind of his philosophy and outlook on life is kind of what I really took away from there. Just a man of character, um, holds himself to the highest standards. So that's something I want to incorporate in my own coaching philosophy someday, something along those lines, but just a great man, um, learned so much from him. And then coach Romar, it seems like everywhere I go and whenever someone asks me where I'm working at, I tell them work for coach Romar, someone that always has a story about him. I don't care if it's, you know, someone like yourself who's been in the basketball world or completely unrelated. Like I'll tell my friend's cousin's uncle. And he's like, Oh, I saw him at the grocery store. One time we talked for 15 minutes and he just made me feel like the best person in the world. And I think that's one of his best qualities is he's just such a great guy. Most personal dude you'll probably ever meet. Um, and for me, that's just something I want to always take away is just the, that personality and just being a guy that whoever um, talks to me, they just kind of leave that conversation, just knowing that their day is a little bit better because of it.
Well, Connor, I appreciate the time. I wish you nothing but the best of luck as you continue uh, to move up the coaching ranks. I know there's bright things in your future, and I'm sure that you and Rem Bakamis are, are kind of, uh, you know, have a silent bet on the side of who will be in charge of their own program first. So I um, wanted to give you a big thanks and uh, appreciate you joining the ISO today. No, appreciate you having me. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.